Chapter Thirteen of A Vanished Hand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. A Vanished Hand by Sarah Dowdney. Chapter Thirteen In Portman Square. And quite alone I never felt. I knew that thou wert near, a silence tingling in the room, a strangely pleasant fear. Faber Arnold Wayne took his way to Portman Square, thinking about Elsie as he went along. If those two could have looked into each other's hearts just then, they would speedily have come to an understanding. When he went up the steps of the great house and entered the flower-scented hall, he was in a dreamy mood, and when he found himself in Mrs. Verdon's artistically furnished drawing-room, he had a queer notion that only his phantom self was here, and his real self had remained in the little room in All Saints Street. His hostess looked very slender and tall and fair in her mauve silk dress. Her satiny hair, wound round her small head, conveyed the idea that if unbound, it would enshroud her, like Lady Godiva's, in a veil. The rich glowing colours of the furniture and hangings formed themselves into a harmonious background for the graceful figure. Mrs. Tell was quietly observing the newcomer and silently deciding that the chances were in his favour. She had not the faintest doubt about his intentions. All the men who came here proposed to her sister-in-law and of course he would do the same. Everybody allowed that nothing could be more agreeable than Mrs. Verdon's position and surroundings. The house exactly suited Mrs. Tell. Catherine, whom she liked in her cool way, was not difficult to live with. Any change was to be dreaded. But there was always the fear that change would come, and she had an instinctive dread of this Mr. Wayne. "'And so you have been calling on Miss Kilner,' said Mrs. Verdon, as they sat at dinner. "'She must come and see me and Jamie. Has she many friends?' "'A great many,' replied Arnold, who did not know anything about them. "'I dare say I have met her somewhere,' Mrs. Verdon went on. "'I have either met her or seen her face in a picture. She has quite a picture face, hasn't she?' "'Ah, perhaps she has,' said Wayne abstractedly, as if the idea had been presented to him for the first time. "'I must have seen her in a picture.' Mrs. Tell noticed that Catherine seemed bent on keeping to the subject. "'There is a painting of a young woman clasping a Bible to her breast. Don't you know it? That is like her, I think.' "'Ah, very likely,' rejoined Arnold in an expressionless voice. I know a man who is always painting pictures of that kind. His girls are always going to suffer for their faith, and they have many costumes, but only one face. It becomes monotonous. Mrs. Verdon laughed. I had my portrait painted once, she said, but it wasn't like me. It was too intense. I couldn't look like that unless my whole nature had changed. I don't like strong feelings. They make life so uncomfortable. "'Very uncomfortable,' assented Mrs. Tell in a lazy voice. 
and besides they are undignified you are always so deliciously calm catherine that you make people fall in love with repose this house would be a home for the lotus eaters said mrs verdon i love perfumes and stillness and subdued light jamie exercises his lungs and legs in the top rooms but he seldom breaks the tranquillity that reigns downstairs when they sat in the drawing-room after dinner arnold mentally decided that it was very easy to fall in love with repose for a little while catherine talked to him in her silvery tones looking at him now and then with her pretty faint smile the folds of the delicate mauve gown trailed over the rich carpet she leant lazily back in her chair waving a plumy fan sometimes with a soft even motion the doors of the conservatory were open light curtains were looped back giving glimpses of a mass of blossoms the atmosphere was laden with perfumes yes it was all very pleasant for a little while arnold wayne did not try to persuade himself that he should enjoy it always his was not the temperament of the lotus eater his nature craved a rich warm life full of strong light and shade still he was glad when mrs verdon told him that she should start for rushbrook in a fortnight i have taken the cedars again she said the air agreed with jamie and me last year we both want to be freshened up it will be nice to be near the danforths i get on with them so well they are always talking about you rejoined arnold with perfect truth when he was gone the two widows sat in silence for a little while the elder knitted diligently the younger toyed with her feathery fan what do you think of him olivia mrs verdon asked at last there was a faint ring of impatience in her tone she had been waiting for the other to speak first there is something uncommon in him which makes him attractive replied mrs tell without glancing up from her work and he doesn't seem anxious to attract not that he is indifferent but of course he is not indifferent catherine's silvery voice was shriller than usual i found it very easy to please him but he is not a gushing man i hate gushing men so do i returned mrs tell no he is not gushing but i think yes i am sure that he could be emotional if he were to let himself go really olivia i didn't give you credit for so much imagination said mrs verdon sharply now i am quite sure that he would never under any circumstances be emotional he has travelled a great deal and seen everything and he is just in the state to enjoy repose he would like even to glide quietly into love without disturbing his calmness then prompted by an utterly unaccountable impulse mrs tell made one of the greatest mistakes she had ever made in her life do you know catherine she said i think you have at last found a man who doesn't mean to propose to you mrs verdon's fan ceased its regular come and go and lay motionless in her lap she did not speak and mrs tell who had expected her to laugh at her little speech was
was startled by her silence. Presently Catherine rose, with a sort of queenliness which became her very well. "'I am tired to-night,' she said, quite ignoring her sister-in-law's remark. "'In this hot weather one begins to pine for the country. Jamie has looked pale to-day. By the way, I shall call on Miss Kilner to-morrow and ask her to dinner before we go away.' Then she went off to her room without another word, and Mrs. Tell was left alone with the consciousness of her blunder. If Catherine was tired, her eyes had never been more wakeful. Her maid, who entered noiselessly, found her standing by a window overlooking the garden, gazing out into the moonlight. It was a London garden, dry and dusty by day, but at night when the trees were touched by the mysterious light, it had an aspect of romance. In silence she sat before the glass, while Bennet's dexterous fingers unbraided the silky hair and brushed it before coiling it up for the night. Looking at the face reflected in the glass, she perceived that it was not quite so tranquil as usual, and was irritated at finding that Mrs. Tell's words had disturbed her. Why was she disturbed? Her vanity had taken a chill, that was all. I am vader than I thought myself, she mused. All women are vain, of course. It is not a very bad fault, but it makes one little in one's own sight. Then came other ideas, crowding fast into her brain. What does Olivia know? She is not a clever woman. How can she tell what a man means to do? Away down there in Rushbrook, he will be put to the test. I am always at my best in the country. The air freshens me, and the quietness rests me, and my dresses are lovely. On that ground I stand alone. Yet, in spite of this comforting conclusion, Catherine was restless under Bennet's hands, and glad to be left in solitude. On the following afternoon, Elsie, dreaming over her solitary cup and saucer, was startled when her parlour door opened. Mrs. Verdon, bland and smiling, came in, followed by Jamie. The boy lifted his blue eyes solemnly to Elsie's face, and something he saw there curved his lips into a smile and brought a dimple into his beautiful cheeks. As usual, he wore his sailor suit, and this time he accepted Elsie's kiss with perfect graciousness. "'We must know each other better,' said Mrs. Verdon, really touched by Elsie's feeling for the child. She talked on pleasantly and fluently. It was evidently her fancy to make much of Miss Kilner and take possession of her. Elsie accepted the invitation to dinner, partly because Mrs. Verdon was really a very pleasant person, but chiefly because her heart still clung to Jamie. On her arrival she was taken up to the top of the great house, and shown the two spacious rooms which were his own. "'I does as I like up here,' said Jamie grandly. Grammar was occasionally forgotten. "'Mammy never fears with me.' Elsie followed him when he led the way through the door which opened into the night nursery. The first object which attracted her gaze was the statuette on the bracket over the bed. 
Jamie at once introduced the figure as his guardian angel. "'I am never afraid at nights,' the little fellow said. "'Some boys is. The angel never goes to sleep. He's always awake up there. If anything wicked came, he'd just make himself large and spread his wings right over me.' Jamie spoke with an air of perfect confidence, which went to Elsie's heart, and her thoughts found mental expression in Browning's beautiful words. "'Dear and great angel, wouldst thou only leave that child when thou hast done with him for me?' Poor lonely Elsie! She too desired to feel the soft white wings close round her, shutting out all miseries of trouble and doubt, and enfolding her in their healing atmosphere of peace. End of chapter 13